Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So, Shani, we have a lot of different announcements. We do. A variety of announcements. Yeah. Okay, so the first announcement is we are going to do a Q&A episode. Mm-hmm. So, hopefully people can figure out what this is. We do get a lot of questions over email, but if you have questions... You can send them to my email address, which is in the show notes, or there's this new feature that Will found also in the show notes where you can leave us a voicemail message, right? Mm -hmm. With your question. Yeah. And you could be our first guest on the show. Right. We could play that and then answer the question. Yeah. (laughs) So a a lot of exciting stuff in the show notes. The other thing is we have a competition and it's to win a book. And the book is One Up on Wall Street, which is Peter Lynch's book. So he was a famous portfolio manager, worked for Fidelity. And we're going to give away five of them. Mm -hmm. And so to win the book, you need to go into your podcast app, leave us a comment and a rating. Now, if you do it in Spotify, you can just leave us a rating because they don't have comments. And then just take a screenshot of that, and you can send it to that email address. And then we will draw five people, and they'll win a book. Sounds good. Yeah. And maybe maybe to have a little bit of an extra incentive, Shawnee will autograph the book. <laughs> it's a little different from having the author autograph the book, but you can do that. It still works. Yeah, and people can analyze your signature and see if you're a serial killer. Or use it to forge my signature on documents. Yes. So a lot of excitement with this competition. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure we're going to get a lot of people, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's get into it. Mm -hmm. And voicemails are exciting. I hope we get a voicemail. I hope so. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into today's episode. So we do say this every time before we do one of these episodes. But once again, we want this podcast to focus on foundational investing concepts and not just mindlessly follow each turn of the market. And we want to do that because the key to long-term investing success is to gain a deep understanding of these foundational concepts and then try to navigate markets as rationally as possible, focusing on an end goal that you want to achieve, the whole reason you're investing. But we are investors, and of course, we aren't clueless about what's going on, and we're not immune to the emotions that volatility can bring out. And of course, we're always looking for opportunities. And we also both want to continue to learn and grow and help everyone who listens to this podcast continue to learn and become better investors. And that involves taking a step back and trying to figure out what we can learn from things that are happening in the market. But doing it in a way that involves taking a step back to try and gain a little bit of perspective by rising above the day-to-day noise. Okay, so that's our long preamble. And we basically went through that to say that we are going to talk about what is happening in the market. And we're going to reference a lot of previous episodes that we've done over the last year because we want to reiterate the worldview that we have on this podcast and the investment philosophy that we have. And investing is fundamentally a risk and return trade-off. We take on risk in order to get a return and the valuation levels of investments represent the price of that risk. And there are instances when investors pay too much for the risk they are taking on. The valuation and the expectations that are priced into an investment are both so high that it's almost impossible for any future event, so either company-specific events or economic events or geopolitical events, 
to meet those expectations. So when those sky-high expectations for a company, for the economy or for future returns aren't met, the market falls. And that fall can be fast and it can be significant. And the jargon that is put out there to describe this phenomenon by the investment industry is that we are seeing repricing of risk. And what this means is an acknowledgement that investors had bid up prices to the point where the return they were setting themselves up to get was not fair compensation for the risk they were taking. They saw a future that was just full of endless possibilities for good things. So double-digit returns, endless technological innovation, a stable geopolitical situation, competent, clairvoyant central bankers, and accommodative politicians. So all this motherhood and apple pie stuff, or as Alan Greenspan said, irrational exuberance. And since we started this podcast a year and a half ago, we have been trying to say that we think that the expectations that investors had for the future were not realistic. The valuation levels were too high. That investors were not aware of the risk that they were taking on and were not getting compensated for it. We've said over and over again that the returns that we've gotten since the GFC are above average and we should all expect lower future returns. And we talked about buy now, pay later. We talked about Bitcoin. We talked about tech shares, SPACs, the use of derivatives and valuation levels. And of course, we talked about the 2000 tech bubble bursting. We talked about that a lot. (laughs) Yes, we did, Shani. But we did two episodes earlier this year. So one titled Disaster Response and one titled A Sale Worth Skipping. And while those episodes were in January, four short months ago, I think they're worth revisiting. So why don't we start with disaster response? Disaster response was a hypothetical scenario that outlined a market meltdown. And during that episode, we described a scenario we thought was plausible, but in no way a prediction. But I think it's worth re-examining now. Yeah, so we described market movements in the fourth quarter of last year, where we saw the riskiest parts of the market as represented by small cap growth shares or small companies trading at high valuations starting to implode. And since then, that has continued. So the riskiest investments, so SPACs and crypto have continued their retreat. And basically, investments that were lacking in fundamentals have fallen significantly. So companies without earnings and cash flow have been hit hard. And if we look at the NASDAQ, we can see some pretty remarkable statistics. So 45% of the shares that trade on the NASDAQ are down more than 50%. 20% are down more than 75%. And 5% are down more than 90%. But what we outlined in that episode was not simply the speculative parts of the market getting hit. We said that in order for a true meltdown to occur, we need to see losses spread from small cap growth shares to large cap growth shares. The market darlings that make up so much of the major indexes and have driven the market higher since the GFC. And just as we outlined as the worst case scenario back in January, we've pretty much seen that happen. So on the evening of May 11th, we can see over the previous three months, the U.S. large cap growth shares have fallen around 28.5%. That is the worst performance of any combination between styles, so meaning value core growth, and market cap, so meaning large, medium, and small companies. And we were warned that if this spread to large cap shares or the biggest companies, it would drag down the indexes, starting with the NASDAQ and continuing into the S&P 500. Year to date, the NASDAQ is down more than 28%, and the S&P 500 is down close to 18% as of May 12th. In Australia, we've been insulated a bit from this. So the ASX is down a little more than 7% year to date, And the drops in the Aussie dollar have also insulated us a bit from U.S. market losses. 
as long as you haven't hedged those investments. Because once again, a weaker Aussie dollar is good for global investments. So the final step in that scenario was capitulation, which we speculated would occur as these indexes retreated and as passive investors started to sell. That in turn would lead to further drops. And we don't think we are there yet. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. Stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. So we do think that we've seen the speculative edge worn off the market. So we've talked about Robinhood in the past, which is the free brokerage platform in the US that is catered to and frankly encouraged speculation. So their revenue in the first quarter was down 43% as trading volumes dropped substantially and they had 10% less active monthly active users than they did a year prior. And we've also seen some of these drops in other speculative parts of the market, so basically in options trading and things like that. But we still see retail investors hanging strong, despite the meaningful drops in the market. Most of the money that has been pulled out has been institutional money. According to JP Morgan, institutions have pulled out $199 billion out of the market and are getting increasingly bearish. Meanwhile, retail investors have ploughed $114 billion into the market through March, according to the Wall Street Journal. And this brings us to the second episode that we referenced. We put out another episode at the beginning of the year exploring the notion of buying the dip. So we explained that it was a bull market trading strategy, and it just involves buying when the market goes down. So going down for a day or a week, not really something that's going to work in a bear market because, of course, you keep buying as the market keeps going down. And buy the dip has become a bit of a religion for a lot of retail investors. The term buy the dip was mentioned 200,000 times on social media in January, which was 30 times the figure of three years ago. And so far, buying the dip hasn't worked out very well because the market has kept falling without meaningful changes in valuation measures, which we'll get to in a second. And the issue is that if the market keeps falling, history would suggest that many investors will eventually capitulate and sell. And at the risk of eliciting a lot of eye rolls from Shawnee, that is exactly what happened in the year 2000 crash. As insiders and institutional investors were selling, retail investors were buying. So $388 billion flowed into equities in the U.S. during 2000, even as the market continued to fall, which was the start of a brutal bear market. And many of these investors eventually started to sell as losses accelerated in late 2000 and early 2001. This was buying the dip. And there has been an impact of buying the dip. The allocation to shares in retail investor portfolios has crept up to 70% in April, which is the highest level since 2018, according to a survey by the American Association of Individual Investors. And we can't say if this is a good or bad 
asset allocation decision because it's very personal, but in aggregate, that seems high and risky since most assets are held by older investors, with boomers holding 70% of all wealth. So where does this leave us? Nothing that has happened means that this will be a bear market, but it is getting close. And if we actually break through that meaningless but psychologically powerful line of a 20% drop, we'll see a bunch of headlines that will not help things. And we do need to acknowledge that valuation levels are still high. In our other episode in January, where we looked at buying the dip, we emphatically said shares were not on sale. We were talking about the CAPE ratio or the cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio. At the end of 2021, we were at around 38 and a half. Now, as this is written on May 10th, we are at around 31 after a sharp fall in April and early May. And that is still historically high. Very high. It's, of course, better, but still high. Let's finish this episode by looking at expectations. We started this episode talking about expectations and how rosy they used to be. Well, that isn't necessarily the case anymore. The market has accepted that we have inflation. It has accepted that interest rates are going up to combat inflation. The question now is, will interest rates have to go up more than expectations if we can't get control? The question is, will increasing interest rates push us into recession? And the market is clearly fretting about the chance of a recession now. So we'll see what the future holds. But I will say that the more pessimistic the outlook, the better the chances that things will turn out better than expected. And when it is so pessimistic that things can't help but turn out better than the gloomy scenario forecast, we will know that the risk and return balance is finally in our favor again. That is when we are not just getting fairly compensated for the risk we are taking on. That is when we are getting excessively compensated so that future returns will be well higher than average. And this is a nice story, Mark, but we won't know when the market has hit bottom because this excessively pessimistic time will only seem obvious in hindsight after what we imagined happening. This worst case scenario doesn't come to fruition. What I can tell you on May 10th, 2022, is that an investment today is better than an investment on January 1, 2022, because the market has fallen. And as valuation levels continue to drop, we will see better opportunities. So in summary, what we are saying is that now is not the time to deviate from your plan. We wouldn't suggest you plow all your cash into the market, and we wouldn't suggest, and frankly, we'll never suggest, that you sell everything and run for the hills. Take a step back from the newspaper headlines. The greed and fear meter has started to tilt more in the direction of fear. Future remains unknowable, but one thing is always for certain. It will not turn out the way we imagined. All right, Shawnee, we did it. This was a challenge for you because you are sick. I'm quite sick, yes. Yeah. If so, you couldn't tell from my voice. Exactly, exactly. So Shawnee's a champ for coming in to uh, to record this episode. So I appreciate it. I'm sure everyone listening appreciates it. So remember, we've got that competition to win five of those books, Peter Lynch's books. And also, you can leave us a voicemail or send through any questions that you want on that Q&A episode, and we'll, uh, and we'll get that recorded in a couple weeks. So thank you guys very much for joining. We appreciate it. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations, or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.